Welcome to the Weekly Beat by Mansa with your hosts Arnold Segawa, Maggie Mutesi, and Dumi Jere, giving you all the info on Africa's big finance and economic stories. The Weekly Beat by Mansa. A very warm welcome to this edition of uh, the Weekly Beat, of course, brought to you by Mansa Media. I'm Arnold Sagawa in Johannesburg, and uh, of course, as always, my uh, co-host today, uh, Maggie Motesi, joins us from uh, Nairobi, Kenya. Maggie, uh, how are you doing today? Uh, doing pretty good, Arnold. Nairobi, as usual, very chilly. We're still having restrictions. Right now, there's a bit of panic as the country has run out COVID-19 vaccines, so but uh, we're hoping that we get another batch of vaccines probably mm. and that uh, the country opens up soon. How is Johannesburg? Uh, cold. It's actually uh, going to be a very, very cold winter this time around. And uh, it's only May, you know, the, usually the winter kicks in around June, the real winter. But uh, this time around, it's, yeah, it's, it's going to be uh, Alaska style. How is the reception with the Johnson & Johnson vaccines? I have to be honest that on this part of the continent, we're excited because governments have come out to say they actually want to go the Johnson & Johnson. Health in Kenya just said the other day, we should rely on Johnson & Johnson to be able to vaccinate our people. Is it the same sentiments in uh, South Africa? Well, obviously, everyone is uh, very excited about J&J. Mm. And uh, one of the mm. main reasons why they are is, uh, well, the J&J vaccine is uh, just a single jab. Mm. Obviously, in contrast, uh, the AstraZeneca jab. You don't need two jabs. Yes, yes. Uh, the the AstraZeneca though is uh, the cheapest, between three to four dollars, three to five dollars, depending mm. on where you are. Uh, but the J and J is one jab. But uh, there's been some reports here and there. Of course, the states coming out the other day, the FDA saying. Uh, they might need to look into some clots that are supposedly associated with the jab. But uh, that has not stopped the excitement. The other thing, something that's mm. not with uh, the J&J jab is uh, Aspen, a local pharmaceutical company that's uh, listed here in uh, South Africa, is actually looking to have some of these jabs actually pushed out uh, from South Africa. That's the J&J. So it, it's very, very fascinating stuff. The mm. president, Sir Ramaphosa, was at this particular facility here mm. in South Africa. So, yeah, everyone is very, very excited. Do, do you know what hit me so, so deep today? Mm. I was listening to, I think, President Ramaphosa saying only 1% of vaccines have actually come to the entire continent. And the sad bit, which I also read somewhere on Twitter, I was following the thread, is that there are countries that haven't even vaccinated a single person. Mm -hmm. it, it really hit deep. And I was, I think for a moment, I felt like it can't be. It can't be that it's just 1%. There has to be a problem. Anyway, I just had to bring it up because personally, I'm also waiting for when I can have my COVID vaccine. I mean, you're raising very, very pertinent issues. And uh, the other thing is uh, now we're at a phase where we need to uh, start mm. uh, having serious awareness campaigns about the uh, the efficacy, the role of the vaccines vis-a-vis mm. -vis us getting back to the normal that was in, what, 2019? Oh, yes. And uh, look at the states. I mean, uh, the U.S. is now looking at offloading close to 20 million jabs uh, because right now their supply is superseding their demand because people are simply uh, not taking up the jab in certain parts of the states. You know, Canada oh, is another fascinating example. They bought close to four times 
yes, than the population. But there's a lot that goes into that conversation um, that uh, we might need another 15 podcasts for. But uh, we digress. We digress. <laughs> uh, this particular podcast, we actually uh, wanted to touch yeah. on uh, uh, sovereign wealth mm. funds. One particular one that uh, actually profited from uh, 2020, Nigeria's uh, sovereign wealth fund. Uh, very, very fascinating stuff. One of Africa's largest uh, sovereign wealth funds uh, rod this particular uh, wave of U.S. tax stocks. Mm. Uh, I have to say to a banner that to the tick, the Nigerian Sovereign Investment Authority, we saw a surge of close to 51% in assets uh, that took it uh, over $2 billion U.S. dollars. Maggie, um, sovereign wealth funds on the continent, tell me, what's your two cents of uh, some people actually uh, picking the right stocks in 2020? I think, you know, um, I'm glad we are touching on this, Arnold. One is uh, the fact that there's been this conversation around that um, we have to build our own solutions when it comes to financing, when it comes to development. Definitely, as a continent, we have to be self-reliant. Now, looking at the progress, of course, with the Nigeria Sovereign World Fund and, and, you know, the investment they are making and the strides that are being made, there is a chance even for a country as corrupt as Nigeria to be able to put money together. Because I'm assuming, and I just want us to break this down, Sovereign World Fund, this is bringing money together. As a nation, sometimes you invest outside the continent, which has been the case most of the time. Other times, you finance uh, your own developments within your country country and or, or invest in other African countries. So um, it's been long overdue for African governments to actually understand the use of sovereign wealth funds. And we've seen in the last decades, I think it's about 15 African countries that have made progress in this, Morocco, Nigeria, Rwanda, Senegal. Of course, Nigeria has a very consistent wealth fund. So I think it is a reminder, but most importantly, I think Nigeria itself for Nigeria Sovereign Wealth Fund for such a massive investment because they are putting the money into technology. I would think it's a boost to self-financing or self-development as a nation, let's face it. Arnold, I don't know what you think. Mm. Well, um, most of these usually take Norwegian mm. example. Now, Norway uh, set the tone when it comes to our sovereign wealth funds. They did realize a very a long time ago that their oil will be depleted. Yeah. So they started what they call a stabilization uh, kind of a account mm. where the money that the, the revenues, not money, the revenues that do come from the oil proceeds, uh, were pushed away on this particular uh, yes. fund and they would finance a very, very small part of their uh, fiscal uh, requirements from that money, otherwise, from those revenues. Otherwise, all that would actually just accumulate for their great, mm. great, great, great grandkids. Basically, that was the idea. And uh, fast forward to where we are, uh, just a quick look at some of the sovereign wealth funds on the continent. I think Botswana has to be one of the earliest on the continent, 1994, the Pula Fund. Uh, just to give you some idea how much um, the assets are under management, 4.33 billion. They're under, well, most of it, Botswana, we all know it's diamonds. Yeah. But uh, Libya actually is uh, uh, the king. Uh, started in uh, 2006, uh, the Libyan Investment Authority's uh, Sovereign Wealth Fund is a staggering 67 billion US dollars. Uh, to put that in context, you can add the GDP of Rwanda, Burundi mm. and Uganda together and still this Sovereign Wealth Fund is actually bigger. I want to bring in a context away from uh, development and financing because also COVID-19 has been a reminder that we cannot keep begging 
the Western world. We cannot keep begging for help, you know, uh, in terms of financing our own vaccines, in terms of building our own health infrastructure, provide healthcare for our people. And I feel like this is when sovereign wealth funds come in because then they are able, I think it's in Namibia or some of these countries where they have taken over, especially building healthcare infrastructure. On a personal basis, because uh, I have actually contributed to the fund, the Alachiro Fund in Rwanda. And uh, right now, I think as of 2019 or 2020, it was at 200 million US dollars. But when I remember that as a, a public servant, because we used to contribute, I think, 1%, I need to be sure. Yeah, one percent uh, was always deducted from the salaries for, of public, uh, you know, servants to go to the Agachiro Fund, and I gotta be honest with you, Arnold. Even when I remember I was leaving Rwanda to go work overseas, I, re- I remember asking somebody, "How do I still contribute to the fund?" Because the, it was not just about the fund; it was about the pride, the fact that you know there is money being mm-hmm. together put together to enhance infrastructure development. And of course, for the case of Rana, it's a different case because there is um, zero tolerance to corruption. Uh, you see things moving, especially when they give you accountability of how the money has been used. You even feel like you want to give more because there is that sense of pride that my country actually has something. I'm part of a common goal through savings. So away from that, that's uh, another component I wanted to bring in for my own personal experience. And when we had a chat to have this conversation, I remember saying to you, this is a very important conversation we actually need to bring out that sovereign wealth funds have proven in the past, like you said, with the Norwegian experience that they can get a country develop some different parts, you know, different infrastructure projects, because you have the ability to finance yourself. Like you've mentioned the Botswana Sovereign Wealth Fund. I think that's the one that probably took over the the healthcare infrastructure development in the country. I mean, there's this money you have and you're planning for your own development. I don't know if African governments have actually got this the way it should be. Maggie, Maggie, um, I went to... I want to jump in here because mm. uh, I'm on the Agachiro uh, website, and this for me has always been a problem with uh, some of the African sovereign mm. wealth funds. I've I've tried to write and follow many of these over the mm. years, and uh, I'm on the Agachiro Development Funds website, and the quickest publication that I can see, well, the latest is actually the 2018 uh, financial report, mm. you know, published ending 30th June 2018. Now, for me, this is a big problem because this is their annual report and financial statements. I have no idea what the portfolio looks like uh, three years later, you know, and if we're to look at the big, big, big sovereign wealth funds, we're talking Kuwait, Mm. you know, away from the Libyas, we're talking the big boys, we're talking the Norways, they thrive in transparency and each and every investment that they make, they actually put out there. Um, The reason why we bring in Nigeria in this particular podcast Mm. is because they realized, you know, they decided to bring in... uh, uh, some Harvard alumni, you know, all of these, of course, Nigeria, Uche Orji, you know, the, the head of the Nigerian Sovereign Investment Authority. Yeah, he's, you know, he's, he's worked with Goldman Sachs, he's done this. I'm not saying that's not the same case with all the other African sovereign wealth funds. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. But we need to take this more seriously and make this become a real real, real business where it's do or die, you know. And if I'm looking at financials from 2018 and 2021, I am sitting on the fence. 
<laughs> okay, I mean, there are two things that have always been... Fact. That's on the website. <laughs> I know. There are two things that have always been really um, critical, I should say, when it comes to these funds uh, across the continent. One, of course, is accountability, openness, and governance. Governance, we've seen what has happened in Angola, the corruption scandals with the former president's son and, and the fund and all of that. Now, uh, when it comes to the openness and uh, maybe how the funds are really used, I think that's something we need to explore. <laughs> Nevertheless, mm, mm, I don't okay. want to be the prophet. <laughs> I always say I want to be optimistic. This is what uh, I'm going to say. First of all, just to take a step back to Nigeria's investment uh, into technologies, it's proof for me that African countries can actually be financially innovative. And you mentioned yourself, countries like Nigeria have to diversify because they, they are so much depending on oil, you know, countries that depend on commodities and all of this. You know that the future is very fragile for them. Because when there are shocks like COVID-19 or, you know, when the prices drop, then there's a big problem. But then when you have sovereign wealth funds, you're able to diversify resource allocation and, of course, adapt to, you know, different economic development or I would say economic context. And I know you and I have had this conversation on a different level, on a, especially when we talk about Africa's growth and, you know, and, and all these oil-rich countries. And the question has always been, how do you diversify? How do you do this and that? But there's a chance for me, I think, with the funds for countries to invest in different things, especially invest within the continent using these funds. Sorry, I've driven away from the uh, transparency of, <laughs> of the Gachio, but <laughs> this is a conversation you can, can I... I definitely yeah. hear you, and uh, definitely that is uh, something that we can pick up. But uh, Maggie, thank you, thank you for that. I'm afraid we've actually run out of time. Uh, we do uh, want to uh, catch up on anything in the course of the week. Anything that you missed, just uh, visit mansamedia.africa on Twitter. We're at... Uh, at Mansa underscore medium, Arnold Sagawa in Joburg, and Maggie Motosi reassuring us that uh, the website will be updated. That's the Agachira Development Fund, which is Aranda's uh, uh, sovereign wealth fund. Just to give you a, a quick brief on the numbers, Libya's uh, Libyan Investment Authority, a 67 billion US dollars, Botswana's pool of funds, uh, 4.33 billion. This is per last year, actually. Angola's, uh, uh, my God, my Portuguese is terrible. Fundo, so Soberano de Angola, uh, 2 billion. Yeah, there's some heavy hitters. Then at the bottom of uh, everything, there's, I think, Equatorial Guinea's uh, Fund for Future Generations, 80 million US dollars. It all comes down to transparency, openness. And uh, I need to mention that uh, the Agachiro Fund was actually audited by uh, PWC for that uh, 2018 report. Uh, if you do have any comments, be sure to uh, drop us uh, all of that on our social media platform, Mansa underscore media for me and the entire gang. Have a lovely week. The Weekly Beat by Mansa with your hosts, Arnold Segawa, Maggie Mutesi, and Dumi Jerry, giving you all the info on Africa's big finance and economic stories. The Weekly Beat by Mansa.